Hello, and welcome to Movies We Dig, a podcast about film, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Elijah Fleming. And I'm Colin McCormick. And today we're going to finish our discussion of The Blood of Zeus, the Netflix animated series created by Charlie and Vlas Carlopanides and produced by Powerhouse Animation Studios. Um, and once again, we are back with our wonderful guests, Zoe Thomas and Christy Vogler. So excited to have you guys here again. I'm so happy to be back to finish this because more thoughts. So many more yeah, thoughts. Yeah, thanks for, you know, inviting thanks. us back. We didn't scare you away too bad No, last thanks for coming time. back. <laughs> well, have you, it's, it's, the episode's up, but it's only been up for like a day now. So I don't know if you've listened to it yet. I, I listened to it. I have decided I'm narcissistic. I love listening to myself talk, even though I was there for the entire conversation. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm totally okay with it. I was terrified that I'd go back and listen to my opinions and then be like, but you're wrong, Zoe. <laughs> I disagree with myself. And I was like, we yeah. can't, I can't have that crisis of self yet. <laughs> I'm not ready for that. <laughs> Just wait until you get yourself published and then you have to look at it in writing. Oh, did you guys, by the way, after it posted on Twitter, I got followed by the official page of uh, Blood yeah. of Zeus. I'm like, Ooh. Yeah. We're famous now. Yeah, this is the best. I hope they're listening to our critiques. It is run by the Parlopanides brothers, so maybe they're listening in, and hopefully we don't, uh, you know, they, they don't unfollow us after this. <laughs> because I think we do generally dig the show, right? Yes. We should yeah. start with Lige, because she... Yeah. She had- <laughs> yeah. Okay, I, I very much dig the second half more than mm-hmm. the first half, and I think that maybe that was sort of the fault of, of our breaking it into two, because I feel like if I had just like binge watched the whole thing like a really long movie I would have felt differently about it but like stopping right at like after all of the exposition and like all of the backstory I was like well what what um but the second half is where all of the actual mm-hmm. story happens and that part I really enjoyed and I think some of the, the themes that we kind of talked about like anger and some of the, like, what in the world is Zeus going to do now? <laughs> um, really do come back. And I could really see that pull through. And so I think I, I definitely dig the show more after watching the second half. I think it's stronger in the second yeah, half. Absolutely. I concur. Not that anyone asked me, but I would say that I dig the last one. Well, no, no, we I mean, are I asking just, you. Yeah, this, this is what you're here, though. I didn't mean like, oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, me, I'm the, the final arbiter of our opinion on this. Um, I dig the last four <laughs> episodes uh, unequivocally. Well, I mean, of course, I have thoughts and comments, but like I have Typical small, Wilson. I have almost unequivocally, unequivocally. Um, um, let's just not say that word. Oh, no, remember, you're being recorded. <laughs> you know, so think real like, hard mm, about that word. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, let's. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, this is this is where the animators are at their best too, right? Like, it's it's all the action sequence. It's literally, literally the Gigantomachy part, duh, like the remix. You're like, all right, yeah. let's let's hash this out again and see how it goes. Except now we have some gods on opposite sides, and again, I really wish Dionysus had just brought the Maenads to the to the whole thing because yeah. that could have been a really fun fight to see between demons and Maenads to see who wins that. Um, but. Um, yeah, I definitely, after our conversation last week, was paying attention to some of the quieter moments, like absolutely loved the, the fight, the battle. Um, but there are still some moments that I'm just like, it doesn't, it frustrates me, especially in how the women are being treated. Um, I also have like multiple questions I'm going to save for the end. My number one question, though, is like, who is Achilles sleep, not Achilles, sorry, 
Liz <laughs> Apollo sleeping with in that one quick cut scene. They look like twins. And then it's, it's a those guy. twins from Castlevania. <laughs> but like, then you see the guy a lot. He's in like a lavender lilac robe. And I'm like, who is that? I need to know what God that is. And I've come to maybe it's Eros and Psyche who have a weird kink oh. with Apollo. I don't know. That was the closest I got to of like, who would wear a lavender lilac robe who still kind of reads as masculine and that that's not Dionysus. And mm. that was my best guess. So many questions, few answers. <laughs> my thought was like, maybe it's one of his, cause he does have like young male lovers. Like I'm um, mm. trying oh. to remember their names though. Hyacinthus. Yeah, that's possible. And, but, but they all they die. That's really. kind of a, a thing with them is like, they tend to be on the receiving end of a javelin or something. But that guess is the best, yeah, because I was just going to guess, like, it's some kind yeah, of nymph or something. Yeah, I just something, thought there were like some a... randos that Apollo brought home that night. Same, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I got very into, like, who are all of these other mm. people just hanging out on Olympus? I need to know. And, like, <laughs> you can't figure yeah. some of them out, but not yeah. all of them. Because yeah, I feel like this is the kind of show, like, yeah, there are some generic gods and goddesses that are just kind of in the background. But, like, this is the kind of show that you, you sort of feel like. The choices tend to be very deliberate and they definitely like do their, their yeah. homework, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I did also, um, I put on subtitles, I think like you guys suggested to sort of hear the background people talking. And that was really satisfying to sort of just hear the things that like people whisper, like especially when Huron just gets to Olympus. Everybody's mm -hmm. like talking about Zeus and they're like, he can't yeah. keep it in his pants. Yeah. <laughs> It's very like, it's all the background dialogue. I think it's like, this is a question kind of like to two points of what Eli was talking about. One is like the way we watch shows today and the way we can watch a show like this. Because I think that definitely affects the way we view it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, not, when it comes out in an eight episode package versus like in, you know, if it was on network or cable or something like that, and it would come out in week, week long installments. And I think that definitely affects the way we would view this which I want to talk about particularly with regards to the last episode. But then, like, subtitles is another one of those things where, like, putting on the subtitles really, for me, draws into sharp contrast to, like, how on the nose the background dialogue is so often, where it's, like, somebody's, like, Hera's going to be so mad because this is, like, another one of Zeus's bastards. He can't do that. It's, like, a thing that, like, nobody would just, like, like, this is a thing that presumably all the gods would just know. No one would, like, say it out loud in, like, such an yeah. expository yeah. manner. They wouldn't have to whisper oh. it to each other. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, it's um, it's very on the nose that uh, we did the second half today because tomorrow's Father's Day. And one of the biggest things with Zeus wait, is like, wait, wait, that, am I right? Everyone, everyone who's like looking at their phone is like, hang on. Okay, to, my mom lied to, lied to me then. I'm sorry. Father's Day is the 20th. Okay. How dare you? It comes out right before Father's Day. Yes, it will. We will come out right before Father's Day. Okay. Thanks, Christy, for instilling a small panic in all of your co-panelists. My mom lied to me then. I'm sorry. We can blame my mom. She did it so one. you would get your dad a gift now. You're right. Yeah. Or call him. Oh, We're very like call people on the Hallmark holidays sort of thing. Yeah. Hallmark holidays. Sorry, you were saying. Yeah, I was, uh, sorry. So like, so the first part we talked about how Zeus is kind of that past the heroic aspect he's mm. grappling with like what is my actual place in the world and then here he's kind of I, I think it's really interesting I do like that they are Zeus is trying to atone and be accountable for his past actions and maybe you can argue it's too little too late in a lot of ways but one of my favorite moments is the discussion he has with Hephaestus where Hephaestus calls him out saying like mm -hmm. yeah you're a shitty dad and 
be better. You like the world's at stake. You need to do better than you're doing right now. And I, I kind of love that it's Hephaestus who's calling mm-hmm. him out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because he's he's one of the few legitimate children of Hera and Zeus, and he's always. I also love the way that they. Sh- he's not a hot god, which he's not supposed to be. He's mm-hmm. not necessarily like completely unattractive, or like he's not ugly how we might think of them but you're definitely it's like yeah compared to everyone else yeah <laughs> and of all people Hephaestus would know how shitty Zeus can be because Zeus is the one who threw him off Olympus for basically being ugly right yep <laughs> yeah I I liked that or also interesting it's interesting if they I mean they don't explicitly have Athena but I think she actually does show up in the gigantomachy mm-hmm. to electric boogaloo scene <laughs> um <laughs> Because she gets like sucked into one of the giants along with Zeus. That's at some my favorite. Point. And you, we'll talk about the giants later. But that's that one's my favorite <laughs> of them. But the Vor giant. It's the like it's um, the spaceballs giant who just like sucks up all the. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you think about like Parthenogenesis and. Or I guess not Parthenogenesis, autogenesis. A guy making a child himself or something, yeah. Right, of, you know, Athena, you know, being born from Zeus's head and the other story of Hephaestus being that Hera tried to have her own child without Zeus and had this unfortunate Mm -hmm. (laughs) god who doesn't measure up to the uh, beauty standards and physical standards that the gods have. And so obviously that's not explored in the show, but also if you think about it from that sense, it's even more striking that A, Hephaestus calls out Zeus and that B, Hephaestus doesn't choose Hera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. I I do. I liked their conversation and I liked that there was a training montage and they had sort of like, oh. uh, <laughs> like, I love a training montage. It needs to happen. If there's going to be growth, we need a training montage. Um, <laughs> But I, I do think that, like, their little, like, father-son therapy session, like, Zeus's apology was very, like, self-focused. He was like, I and me and my failings. And it's like, there was very little about Heron at all. And so that, I was kind of like, come on, man, like, work, work with the kid a little bit more. But at least, so- at least there was some accountability that he was trying to take. He did at some point say... All of this is my fault. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. And he admitted to Hera that he was like a terrible husband. He never gets the chance to go tell the mortal woman that he forced himself on. Like, yeah, that was maybe a shitty thing to do, but um, yeah. you're dead. So sorry. <laughs> and my reading a, a little bit even is because Heron, as I'm sort of thinking, like we talked a little bit last week about how Heron is kind of very like archetypical or like he's kind of, he's like the every hero. He's almost like like a synthesis of like all Greek heroes mm-hmm. or like particularly he's very Perseus and, and Heracles-esque or maybe even very Theseus-esque. And then in a sense, like maybe this is a, maybe a generous reading, but of like you could read like Zeus's apology to Heron as like almost like a stand-in for like Zeus is basically to like, it's kind of addressing all of his Pat, maybe this is a maybe you guys like you're just gonna be like nah but like it's like heron is almost like a stand-in for like every greek hero ever which is maybe why his character is kind of so broadly drawn and then like i don't know maybe why his name is is basically hero mm-hmm. yeah um, <laughs> yeah well, and that was my thing is it was interesting and i i don't necessarily find it problematic of like this question of man, men who are in power holding themselves accountable um like that is kind of a big thing coming out of the me too movement and things like that and so I'm not opposed to that, but then they did something else in the show that just made me so angry where we get the reveal 
of Seraphim's story of like Zeus shows up and is like, well, actually, this is how it happened. Mm. And it's literally a he said, she said with mm-hmm. like one motivation being blackmail and the other motivation to believe him to be a bribe. And I'm like, that looks so bad. And I, I know that there's more to the characters of Hera being manipulative, but Zeus is also shown to be a liar all the time. So gaslighter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I kind of I really hate that moment actually of of you're very much presented with these two versions of the story. They don't necessarily say which one is true or not, but it's like you literally put a he said she said moment in there and and we are inclined, we're more sympathetic to Zeus and believing Zeus's version of what happened. Yeah. 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 I I didn't see it quite like that but i that is oh when you say it i can't get that out of my head now when we were watching it um i was watching it with tracy again and she said well how's seraphim supposed to know which one's the true story and then like i think the way the text is sort of presented is because zeus says the thing where he's like i'm going to give you what you want free of charge and that's like my proof that i'm and then like, i think like we're all we're supposed to infer the audience that his is the true story for all the reasons that christy just outlined but I think you're right. It is like very much like it's kind of a it's a it's a hearsay or like we never really get the final word. We're just gonna have to we have to we have to take Zeus at his word, which we shouldn't we should never do. No, <laughs> never. I also think it was what struck me was sort of the difference uh, in how Zeus treated Huron and then Seraphim, and that he was like having this father bonding, release your anger, like we're gonna go through this little therapy training montage. And then he just, like, Seraphim's not his actually biological child, but he obviously felt some sliver of responsibility for him. And he just, like, Seraphim doesn't get to have the the therapy yeah. apology moment. He's just like, go. He doesn't get to release his anger. Well, he, his foil scene, he, he kind of does, but in because he gets, he finds Acrisius. And then whereas Heron is sort of has a kind of like a breakthrough, so to speak, or like coming to terms with his anger, Seraphim just kind of relapses into his anger and just kills Acrisius and then basically just doubles down on everything he's doing. And I guess like I think the idea being with Seraphim is, you know, it's like the 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 cup that he's never gonna fill or whatever. Yeah, but you know, I feel so like he's like Zeus doesn't like give him the chance. Right. No. Well, and Zeus makes a big deal about, you know, Heron's like, well, why don't you just kill Seraphim? And Zeus is like, well, he's he and you are the only things left of your mother in this world. But then he doesn't. And then he said, you know, p- potentially lying or not. Oh, I helped keep you alive. Like all of that was me. I did all of this. I'm so great. But he doesn't, you know, after that point, he doesn't warn Seraphim away from the giant and the OG, you know, Seraphim's running away mm-hmm. from being hunted, trying and then finds the giant. Like Zeus never intervenes at any of the really critical moments. Yeah. After after sort of the bear attack. I just I it's hard for me. It's probably a good takeaway. It's hard for me to trust Zeus. Yep. <laughs> well, the other the problematic storyline that comes out of that, that it's Electra's love for Zeus is what changes him. And like, that's also a really dangerous message to put out there that's like, oh, I can be the one to change how this man has been acting, this more like male deity has been acting for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And they present it that way. And it's like, that's also really dangerous of an idea to present. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or or even if it wasn't Electra, that it was his Mm -hmm. kids. Like the Mm -hmm. act of having... Heron, for who the first time he's like, 
I've never been a father really until now. And it's like, you have so many children on Olympus. Yeah. Yeah. That's not, don't put that on Heron. It's not Heron's job to be the dutiful son for you. Like, I did see that again being kind of a a parallel to the Iliad with Zeus trying to decide if he's going Mm -hmm. to interfere with the death of um, Sarpedon. Yeah. Sarpedon. Um, And this Mm -hmm. time he was like, oh, so this might be a good segue into the fates, but just like all of a sudden there's this moment and it's like, oh, Hermes, you showed up. Well, obviously the fates want me to interfere in this moment. And I was like, ooh, an Aphrodite Mm -hmm. interfering moment. And like, it's like, Nope, next level, Zeus is just going to overdo it a little bit. But um, <laughs> but yeah, how we very clearly in one scene see the fates summoning someone to tell him, it's like, hey, just so you know, these are your decisions coming up versus Zeus is like, obviously, this is what the fates want, even though there's no creepy spider on the hand right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I that is a good segue, the though. Fates. They were so oh, cool. Oh, they are so good. Oh, I love I their radioactive so spiders. Yes. Yes. Oh. The the uh, old young middle thing, or what I like to call the bogus buns and beans uh, phenomenon, <laughs> where you have a, a series of three people and one, and they're like differentiated by either they're either old young and like middle, or they're short fat and lean, or or what is it like when short one fat one lean? That's the yeah. bogus buns and bean, right? Yeah. But like, is, does that? I was thinking about this. Is that from like in I think like Slavic mythology? There's three mm-hmm. women who like prophesize, and they're like dawn what is it, evening, night, dawn, or like dawn and dusk and night or something like Hecate that? I think is also like, a threefold goddess. Um, I'm thinking of American yeah. gods, right? Like there's mm-hmm. the, yeah, like Mrs. Midnight or something along the Yeah, line. but the idea, but they, they also have like prophetic abilities. Yeah. And, and one is like, one's kind of, there's like a young one and a middle one and an older one, which I feel like, because like that's not necessarily a thing with the fates. So they're usually all just. They have distinct roles um, in, um, Spinning, yeah. yeah. Uh, Measuring and cutting, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Clotho, Lachesis, and Atropos mm-hmm. are the are the fates. I'm trying to do like a quick Disney's Google Hercules search here. is also Hell more yeah. almost but they, they combine like the gray and the more eye in that case. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, they mm-hmm. Yeah, with the eye and the Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. But that, that's all just to say, like, I think the, the, the old young middle thing, I think that might be borrowed from probably from American gods, truth <laughs> be told, which is how I, like Eli, how I know about the Slavic <laughs> women. But yeah, the the way they, um, it turns into this whole debate about like fate and free will. And they give the whole explanation about the baby mm-hmm. and the table. Mm-hmm. Which is by far, which doesn't make any sense really, to me. I kind of like it <laughs> because it, what their ability isn't necessarily to choose fate. It's just like they have foresight. And then, it's, mm. and it's like I kind of get that, like they're, but but it's interesting because then they're also really powerful. Like that's the thing that's always existed in Greek myth is like Zeus is almighty, mm-hmm. but he must bow to the fates. And it was kind of here the case that the fates are kind of like, well, all we really have is foresight. Like we can see how things are going to turn out. And it's like, well, that's Prometheus's ability, which you know Zeus was also terrified of Prometheus, so maybe that makes sense. Yeah, it's like, do they dictate? Because that's kind of the, like, that's the way it seems like it gets talked about in a lot of ancient myths and literature is that the fates are the ones who kind of dictate fate. I mean, this is all of, like, Greek prophecy and, like, the idea about fate, but there's there's a very, like, have your cake and eat it, too, because no matter what (laughs) happens, it's always like, yeah, this is what the fates predicted. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, like, we never really know. 
Like yeah. if they had showed the baby like yeah. changing course or something on the table, it's like, see, you like we foresee this is what is most likely to happen. But like you can still choose mm. to stop and chew on your foot instead, I guess. <laughs> That's whatever babies do on a table. <laughs> Yeah, I think I am just at my heart not a philosophy person. And so the whole idea of fate versus free will makes my brain go crunch. So (laughs) but I their character designs and I mean, even if the even if sort of the young old or young middle aged old sort of progression isn't from Greek myth originally. It works so mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And with the I love when they when they walk down towards the Thalos mm-hmm. temple where they live, the cy- the mm-hmm. cypress trees. Yeah, they yeah, like, they, like, they like grow and growing dying. and then dying and growing and dying was like I just really liked Same. the whole aesthetic of yeah. them. Yes. And that feeds in because it's like, yeah, it's like a birth, life, death movies or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. To, to reference a, a great sort of a movie critic, movie critique blog that everyone <laughs> should go to. And I also, I mean, even though the, even though that one of them is younger, two of them are younger than the eldest, which is, I guess, how time works. Um <laughs> If you look at their clothing, one thing I find really, because I'm fascinated by the character design of them, is the clothing that they wear is much more, it's very A, different mm-hmm. from everyone else. And B, if you look at their character designs, is very like mm-hmm. Minoan priestess yes. style clothing. So Minoan, from Minoan frescoes from wall painting we have, they tend to wear these sort of like layered dresses with fringe on them. And that's what all of these characters are wearing are these like layered woven garments with this fringe and their hairstyles weirdly match up with these frescoes. And of course, it's not a one to one, but it's clear that there's this, you know, spark of inspiration coming from the Bronze Age, coming from pre-Greek Greece. And I love that that's reflected in the fates, that they are, even if they are you know, young, middle-aged, old, they are still older than everyone yeah. else on Olympus. Uh, yeah. So are they, That's just, I it's think just there's so an old cool. Cretan, the Materes or something like that. Because, yeah, there, there's another threefold goddess that is very associated with a very old religion on Crete. Mm. So that, you might have nailed it and that that's what the inspiration was. Yeah, I never picked yeah, up maybe. on that, but when you say it, it makes complete sense. I love it. Yeah. And there's a lot on Olympus that's interestingly old, there's mm-hmm. bits and pieces that are very old, like the preponderance of tripods <laughs> that are mm-hmm. particularly noticeable um, in the threesome scene, which I just love. That's what, that you, thought, that's what you were fixating on in well, that scene. There's, there's <laughs> writing. Listen, there's like an abandoned temple and there's writing on the pediment that I would say looks more like linear A or B. And I wasn't sure if you guys had picked up on that. It's like, that's not mm. what you would put on a pediment, but it didn't catch that. Interesting yeah. symbols that are mm, being cool. used. I'm going to use this as a pivot unless you have something else. Because speaking of writing systems, I noticed cuneiform? one thing I did notice. Yes, there was cuneiform on the writing that Alexia can't read on the map she gets from the demons. That writing is cuneiform, which I, I took a little Hittite, but I can't say that it, it could have been. <laughs> Marion's probably more likely. <laughs> yeah, it's probably like Sumerian or Akkadian. I would be very curious. So any um sort of ancient near eastern experts any experts in sumerian or akkadian or any of those languages take a look at that scene and write us back to see if that ah, actually says that would anything. be awesome because yeah. even like hittite itself i do know borrows because it borrows its writing system from like mesopotamia and so a lot of the words are loan words 
that they just sort of got like particularly like words for like different kinds of gods and things like that. But I was going to use this as a, as a pivot to talk about the human arc, the sort of uh, the plot on, on, on earth and particularly like Alexia and Evios and Kofi and Chiron. And I mean, that, that can go stuff. two different ways. Oh. Like I have thoughts on Evie and Kofi and I have thoughts on the pairing, the very forced pairing of Herona and Alexia. <laughs> Okay. Let's let's start with Alexia uh, and, okay. and her story story because that was that's my okay. most immediate connection with that pivot that I'm now really <laughs> uh, it's showing the seams. This is getting real the All right, here's my as I continue to explain it. My immediate thoughts on Alexia is she continues to feel that very Alexander sort of idea, especially with her relationship with Chiron, where it's like that is always very reminiscent to me of yeah. Alexander and Aristotle. So you got that going. And then he even looks like Aristotle. Yeah. Yeah. I had never put that together. It was like, oh, the beard. Yep. Oh, yeah. Then we are teased with something that happened with her parents who are apparently Amazons. But then why would she know her dad? So, again, very confusing. And then (laughs) overall, like I said, the forced romance, they're on the beach and they meet each other's eyes. And you hear off scene, it's like, get a room, lovebirds. And I'm just, I'm like. Why? And like, I know, really, like Berlin, like take my breath away starts playing. In the <laughs> my thought was like, why is this a whole Avril Lavigne opening line of Skater Boy? Like, it's, it's so forced. I'm like, and yeah. you have the gods. It's like if you're gonna force it, have Eros there, or Aphrodite there, giving like a wink nudge, being like, "Yep, I'm making this happen," um, because right. you have them and they don't, and so it feels like the most forced. Romance, and I know Greek myth is not, you don't go there for the romance, obviously, but I'm just like, no, this, no. Give me Evios and Kofi over Alexia and Heron any day. I agree. I agree. Alexia and Heron have no chemistry. They've, I was telling Eli this, they've talked like four times. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And three of those times were in some sort of like, like, we about uh, to die. Flighter. Yeah, like fight or flight kind of life or death situation. Yeah, they'd be like, oh, I recognize you from that one time. We were running for our lives. It's Mm -hmm. like, sure. "Mm." What's your name again? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Slipped my mind. I don't know. I I really like, I guess, the the Alexander of it all. But it sort of feels like after a while, Alexia doesn't really, like, do anything. She's, like, there. She survives. But yeah, I'm like, (laughs) we're literally shown three badass women enter the field of the dead, (gasps) and she's the only one who comes out. Well, Well, so there's there's the the buff woman in the like leopard skin. Yes. But then she disappears. She doesn't come out of the temple. Yeah. She gets gets Biden or whatever you call it. Yeah. Oh, right. right, She gets Biden. Jesus. (laughs) 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 Uh, But she, no, because that is a character that I like weirdly fixated on, where it's like, don't introduce this like eight foot tall, right. like massive woman and like not address it at all. <laughs> Lady like, Dimitrescu like a- from Resident Evil Village could never. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's like, there's this, this background sort of care. Cause there's like a moment. So like to sort of contextualize, like they survive. We'll talk about the, the ships. I want to, I want to talk about the ships a little bit in a second, but they survived the, the, the episode on the ships where Zeus like very much puts his thumb on the scale. Mm-hmm. And then... Zeus comes down and basically explains to everyone that's like, yeah, you you now have a quest. Like, here's your quest moment. Go do the thing. Yep, yep. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm gonna leave with Heron for a second, uh, but like, you you gotta go do this thing. 
Uh, and then so the Thebans sort of show up and they're like, we're Thebans and we're here to help. Yeah. Um, and we all look the exact same. Some of yeah. us don't have a beard. Some of us do. But otherwise, it's the same person. You know they're about to die. They are yeah. like more fodder right. for the, the red shirts. Show then, the red shirts. As we're like going through, there's a cut. Because I guess like my thought is maybe this is a thing that like, because they the uh, the Parlopanides and the um, shot negotiant, the creators and director, talked a lot about like they had to make a lot of sort of cut like they had all these grand ideas and then they had to sh- really strip it down because you got to fit this into about 30 minutes a slot and, and you have only so many episodes so my thought is maybe like there's another woman who's like kind of got this like thief kind of rogue looking to her she's got like two knives yep. and she just gets field of the dead but like my thought is like are these just like sort of vestigial remnants of like an earlier draft mm. where like these were characters that mm. said something because like my yeah. whole thing was like you introduce this like giant woman who's around and then I want to like, there's like this huge question mark for me. Like who is this person? And then she gets Bidented it. And I'm like, <laughs> well now I'll never know. Never know. And uh, they fail that quest. Like that's the weirdest thing. Oh, it's yeah, like they fail. heroes don't fail quests. Where is the body? And that is what I come to at the end of the season. Like where did the body go? It's they moved it. It's somewhere. Okay. Maybe this is also a pivot back to Evios and Kofi. Did they, steal the body earlier because so like wouldn't they know that it's not there who knows this is my one other big question like a thing that i think probably got cut for time because they mentioned very early when zeus like basically kind of blackmails evios to being like you should help because you feel really guilty and he alludes to some kind of vague crime that they've committed yeah and then at the very last episode right before they have their big battle evios is like oh yeah by the way we were the ones that uh sold the giant body to these people so why did they go on the quest in the first place? Wouldn't they know that the body isn't there? Well, I don't know. But it, here's the because yeah, it might have been moved. Like like that was the thing. It's like my god is more clever than your god. So like Hera warned Seraphim and they moved it somewhere. Is my best guess. And they don't. Yeah, I don't. Know. It also kind of confuses me because like in the origin for Seraphim's story that we get, he basically just kind of accidentally watches up. Yeah. Um. You know, he's like running from the guards and he just kind of, kind of finds the giant. By accident. So it was like, was there another giant body that they sold? There could um, be. Yeah, are there like multiple pieces of it? And they're like, some of them are moved around and some of them are in more difficult to get to places? Yeah. That's kind of, I mean, that's the explanation that my that I came up with simply because that's all we have to work with. Yeah. So like if my default is I am going to, you know, try and explain away the plot hole instead of accepting it as a plot hole. That's what I came up with, cool. but it is <laughs> unclear. <laughs> yeah, benefit of the doubt. I think it's one of those things that kind of just had to get, it sort of is on the cutting room floor Condensed. for time. Because like, yeah. in, in in contrast, like, it, I think of, I, I'm well, partially is because Kofi is voiced by the same actor as, as Isaac in Castlevania. <laughs> um, but it, like, in comparison to, I think, like Hector and Isaac, who I think are kind of complementary so again, because of the same actor, but like our characters that we get a lot of, like we understand their motivation sort of very clearly and like fairly economically, we get like a little bit of time with each of the characters in Castlevania. We kind of get to know like why they are the way they are, why Isaac's sort of such like a, the most intense man ever, I guess is the way to put it. I don't know. He's like kind of a zealot or he's just like an incredibly intense dude and why Hector sort of his kind of bleeding heart. Um, but with Evios and Kofi, they're a little more, we don't get quite enough of that. Uh, and I feel like we maybe, like I would have really liked to see a scene 
where because Kofi alludes to it of like Kofi going to the Olympic Games and the like the the scheme that they yes. run basically that's like what he alludes to that yeah. everybody else ran they ran a con where he got a bunch of people to bet against Kofi and then he knew Kofi was going to mop, mop the floor with them. Yeah. Guys, I want uh, Evios yeah. to go full Varric because I get Varric so hard from his character. And I'm like, just just take it the next level and become Varric from Korra. I need it. You look like mm-hmm. him. You <laughs> oh, see, are... I got major Sokka vibes. I was like, this you is... You got Sokka vibes from yes. him? Okay. Well, in like on the ship scene, their relationship was very uh, Tulio and Miguel from Road to El Dorado, which is like one of my favorite animated bromances ever. Um, And then I wanted, and like they they brought it back a few times. Like they they come they fall in the the ball during the Gigantomachy, and it's like, oh, I bet that's the shortest you've ever felt. (laughs) <laughs> or when Evios falls off the butt of the hippogriff <laughs> and everyone's yeah. just like whop whop <laughs> like, it's so funny yeah I wanted so much more of them they were yeah. a yeah. delight because they're also like they are our main source particularly Evios mm-hmm. but they are kind of our main sources of comic relief yes. and they don't show up until exactly, yeah. basically halfway through the show yeah. and, and um, to what Zoe said last week they, they're the ones especially Evios who reads queer the most because my two favorite yeah. lines I wrote them down is like we see them in line and they're getting whipped and they go, uh, uh, and Evias's line is like, they obviously whipped us harder than you. And Huron's like, obviously. And then the other line is like, they're taking over the ship and Kofi Asim's like, what are you going to do? What I do best, ramming speed. And you're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. I just said it's the... Oh, go ahead, Colin. I, was, uh, I just had a tiny note when I saw that. I think it's like the beginning of episode five, but I wrote a little note. It's like, where could they possibly be taking us? And then they turn the corner and it's like this black and red shit. And I wrote down like, blood shit. Um, and it, it turns into Ben-Hur, um, yeah. basically, where they're like, they're on the rowing galleys. And I was like, now we have our Ben-Hur analogy. Also, I don't um, think anybody yeah. is like getting unchained from their oar to go to the bathroom. <laughs> on the ship yeah <laughs> that just kind of made that me was laugh another thing where i was like you know they were like no one ever escapes from the galleys and it was like but they escaped so easily know, they got like out of there and with like the I, classic fake fight ruse exactly <laughs> right yeah. which was like the tulio miguel it part like, that i loved so sure Sure. It was the power of friendship that got them off the galley. Not anything else. But. I ha- I have to say, like, the beginning of that episode, that is the sexiest animated lamp I have seen since Aladdin. So, like, oh, every time they, like, were peering at that lamp, I'm like, yes. And, like, Elijah and I know about sexy lamps. We literally have done a canvas presentation together called Baby, Come On, or what's like, Come On, Baby, Light My light Fire. Because we were talking about you know, sexy lamps. You know, title that? Colin. Colin came up with that. <laughs> I remember really? sitting, oh yeah, I remember sitting in our office and I was like, what should I call this presentation? I like turned around because Colin sat right behind me. It's like Colin, first year, first year office mates. First year office mates. It's like Colin, give me, give me some good, some good titles here. Yeah. So yeah, we have, we have Colin to thank. For reference, it's a lamp depicting a woman giving birth to a cornucopia. No, well, this one that one. Well, we okay. think it's actually a swaddled infant. A swaddled now. infant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hmm. Read my dissertation. Learn more. Uh, but the other one we have <laughs> is literally like a guy kneeling behind a woman who has like one leg up in the air. So that's like our legit oh, scene we have going. I can totally find it. Mass produced. I've seen copies in um, the British Museum too. So like. 
as our listeners, like just hang tight and we'll show you this. Enough. <laughs> um, but we can link it actually in like the oh, show notes. Yeah, 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 we could totally yeah. get that. Um, and it, I say all of that because I, as an archaeologist who digs up a lot of ceramics, I love, love, love finding lamps, uh, Roman lamps to be specific, because you never know what's going to be on it. And sometimes it's a little disappointing, like it, in that scene on the ship it, it, or the galley, it is it is just a normal, not decorated Greek lamp, but it still looks really cool. But like Roman lamps, you guys, ugh, they will put anything on those. Yeah. It's great. So it's my favorite thing to dig up is a good old Roman lamp. A good fasquinus in the morning. Just like really gets the day started right. Elijah's giggling over there looking at sex scenes on Roman lamps. No, I'm sorry. I can't find it. A fasquinus, for anyone who doesn't know, is um, a winged phallus. And that's about all there is to Excellent. it. Go to Delos and the Temple of Dionysus, and he just has columns of them. I love it. They're the best. They're great. Excellent. Oh, okay. I don't know where it is on my new phone. Eli's uh, stash of sexy lamps has gone missing. It has. It's a, it's a distressing thing. I'll have to search for it. I will find it for when for when we post this. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. The most uh, important lamps. part of this episode. <laughs> Obviously. Archaeologist nerding out for a moment. My other favorite archaeology nerd moment was the centaur um, when Alexia is vis- visiting Chiron because it's reminiscent of the tomb of Lefkandi where they have yes, geometric. The Lefkandi centaur. Yes, right? Oh my god! so easy to I nerd out. I love that so much. Well, and there's another good episode, another good sort of representation of well, of course, the Lefkandi Centaur is, uh, you know, 8th, 9th, 8th century mm-hmm. BCE. It's archaic. It's not bronzy. Oh, we talk about the one with but human we... feet? No. No. It is a, no, it's no, the, the one with six fingers on his hand. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> He's the six-fingered man from The Princess Bride. Yeah, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> No, in Bronze Age pottery, you also get some of those, or kind of late Bronze Age, early, early geometric, you get those, like, pot lids that have four horses on them as well. So just a lot of, like, really good old, old pottery going on (laughs) in these episodes. If you guys ever go to Athens and want to check out very cool geometric pottery in Athens, go to the Karamakos Museum. They've got amazing examples there. So cool. I, I might have told the story before on air, but like I had a revelation in, in Athens that I might have missed my true calling as a classicist when they I was in the basement of the um, the Stoa of Attalus where they just keep like literally 10 trillion Greek vases. Yeah. And also all the shards. But like I, I got to sit down for a while with like basically a box of like pottery fragments and like try to make joins. And I had a moment where I'm like, I should have done this. <laughs> Cause I was like, I was like a big Lego kid and maybe it's just like my kind of like sort of like anxious and attention, like very sort of like nervous energy, but like to just sit and like connect things and then like hold it up to a graph and be like late fourth century. Um, and then, and then the person would be like, you're pretty good at this. I was like, it was so validating. I was like, shit, I could have, I would have been great at this. Like just put me in this basement with a box of pottery. That is where it will be strain pottery for all of lifetime. That is yeah. that is the Sisyphus torture of an archaeologist right there. See, I would have loved that. That would have been great for me. I, I would I'd do this for free. Um, People do. Don't don't tell them they that. Make, make the them archaeological pay you. world go that. round. No, like my first dig was a, a mammoth dig in Washington State. And literally, like mm. this little old ladies club would get together and yes, yeah, so I sexy. It. I don't know if you uh, can really yeah, see this it. This is the sex lamp this for is the sex you know. lamp. 
I've we're, we're all ooing and aahing on yeah. it. <laughs> that is that is flexible. That is, right? that is true. That is acrobatic. Her right leg is up there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yes, we we have sex. I'm entranced. <laughs> um, oh, I think. But yeah, we would have little old ladies sort through wet screening, like wet screening. Yeah. I hate There's that. There's like a little bit of a better. That's from the mm. British Museum. Those are my pictures. They are your pictures. That's where yeah. I found it in my phone. <laughs> yep. That that is mm. our partruition scene, as I like to say it in fancy academic wow. terms. So. All right. Mm. Well, now now that we've seen. What were we talking about, guys? <laughs> um, archaeology? We went off on a tangent there. <laughs> I can, I, I have more to say about Evias and Kofi. Oh, hell yeah. Do Please do. Yes, yes. So, I, I mean, obviously they're wonderful. I really like them. But I was curious what you all had to, what you all thought about sort of the racial aspect of their con that they pull. So the reason why the con works is because... Kofi and Evias are like, the Greeks will never bet on a black man. And part of me is like the modern conception of racial makeup and ethnicity does not map onto antiquity. This is something that listeners, you can go. I'm sure that there are many articles that you can find. Well, not I'm sure there are many articles you can find if you're interested in learning more about that. But I thought that was a really interesting sort of was a hint of like what they could have done with sort of women's issues mm-hmm. in the show. And I, I think they could have focused more on that. They could have focused more on sort of giving light to Kofi's experiences as a black man in a sort of imagined to be racist Greek society. But I thought that was really interesting and quite powerful in some ways. So I was curious about what you all thought of that. Well, and the, pan- the Pankratian games are not like... The pan- Pankration is a event. It's not actually one of the big games that we know from the ancient world. Uh, the Nemean, mm-hmm. uh, Olympia, Olympic, and... And Pythian. And Pythian. Pythian. Yeah. yeah. And, like, the only thing I remember about who's allowed Ismian. to... Ismian. Ismian. There we go. Ismian. The only thing I remember hearing about was later, not Alexander the Great, but one of the one of his... Uh, predecessors, Alexander the First, a prince of Macedonia, wanted to compete in the Olympic Games, and there was a big question of, do we allow him because he's not Greek? Like that's that question of like, who is Greek? Mm-hmm. Well, they speak Greek, right? And yeah. they eventually allow him to go in because he's a prince. But they're not necessarily like that's what's interesting is like, would they just let some random commoner, regardless of skin color, person just? come in and compete and i don't know if that's necessarily mm-hmm. accurate i don't necessarily i liked that question overall of just um identity and who are people willing to see compete and you know that that's very reflective of modern sports is like who mm-hmm. who is sacrificing their bodies for our entertainment and for the longest time mm-hmm. we wouldn't allow them to that's true of a lot of modern sports. So I think that that was a really good reflection of some of these modern issues with athletics and who's allowed to compete mm-hmm. and how have our views of athletes changed over time. I don't know if, how much more it can translate onto the ancient world because I just don't know enough about athletics to comment much more on that. Yeah, it's a very, like, I was just thinking, like, he's almost like a Jesse Owens kind of figure where he really, like, he defies everyone's expectation, everyone's racist expectations Mm -hmm. and how well he does. I was wondering about this myself, so I did a little 
uh, surface level research because I was reminding myself because so the Olympics, uh, the games at Olympia were one of like the four big Panhellenic games that would happen. Basically, they would rotate. You know, you would have a different one every year. So each one would happen in a four year cycle. And the for, for entry, so you had to be a, a freeborn Greek man, basically, to compete in one of the Panhellenic games like the Olympics. And although a sort of the exception of that is um, in the chariot races where it's really it's like the owners of the chariots Tenisca. are the ones sort of. Woo-woo. Yeah, like there were women who were the chariot owners who won at the Olympics, although the, the competitors were also remember and then there also was a separate festival at olympia for hera where unmarried girls would compete in in like foot races but generally sort of speaking like um only sort of freeborn greek or citizens of a polis would be able to compete but then my thought my rationalization was like one like it this doesn't really actually bother me in the show for for two reasons because one it's really more of a modern commentary than anything else so like it doesn't mm-hmm. need to like follow ancient rules and then two because also you could just say like they don't i don't know if he explicitly states it i don't actually it's been a few days since i saw it but like he may not have necessarily competed in the actual event but he could have just been there and that they could have just been running because like i would not be surprised that there would be at the olympic games other stuff happening around the side yeah like yeah you know right uh informal fights and or whatever informal fight clubs yeah. like he's def- he says i think that he won the pancre he says pancration ga- games mm-hmm. which means that it, i mean of course to us we're thinking okay olympian you know right nemean isthmian pythian but that mm-hmm. could just be you know evios and kofi walked into town and saw that they were doing some pancratia tournaments and they were like yeah you know what it would be a great way for me <laughs> to make some money hell yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah oh yeah Totally, yeah. And is it implied that that's how they met? I think mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I ho- I hope we get backstory. The OG con, yeah, that's like the first time they like got together to con others. Mm-hmm. At least according, you know, according yeah. to their. We need we need their backstory. I need eventually. all of that. I uh, want please. that side story. I need a spinoff. That's just Evias and Kofi. <laughs> mm-hmm. Please, now that the Blood of Zeus official Twitter fo- or follows Christy and has paid attention to this. Um, Charlie, flash. This we is know our you're call listening. to action. <laughs> <laughs> please, please. We will be forever indebted. And I think something else, too, is that because of the way that the Greeks conceived of race and ethnicity just because Kofi is black doesn't mean that he couldn't have been a citizen of a polis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's another Mm -hmm. sort of interesting, it might be an interesting thing to kind of play with is, you know, what systematic issues were put in place for Kofi versus what social Mm -hmm. issues Mm -hmm. he would have faced. Whether that uh, is going to fit with the vibe of blood of Zeus, which is, you know, (laughs) massive gigantomachy battle scenes mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe for the spinoff that will be a good yeah yeah <laughs> there's this is maybe a, a plug i don't need to make but that is almost reminiscent of like a like yeah. yasuke mm-hmm. which is an anime on netflix right now that's based on a real historical guy who was a, a black man who ended up in like 16th century japan and became a samurai what? although that anime involves like robots and stuff <laughs> but you know. Zoe, do you not know about this show? I do not know about this show, but I'm going to watch it now. Okay, so it's called Yasuke. So yeah, it's another Netflix like uh, Mm -hmm. anime about uh, about based on a historical person who was a um, he was brought to Japan 
entered into Nobunaga. I, I think he was originally enslaved and then became free and like entered into Nobunaga's service and basically rose to the rank of samurai and like held landed titles and the whole thing. I was going to say, like, I hope, like, let's not make Kofi a slave. Let's avoid yeah. that for his backstory. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. agree. exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. no, it does not have to be the case. And like, let's not go there. That is, right. that is a trope that is very played out. Please don't go there. Right. Yeah. I have mm-hmm. two questions relating to like how the Greeks would have perceived others and how they would have represented them. Mm-hmm. So like one is Heron as an archer and then mm. two is not just mm. Chiron, but all of the centaurs as an advanced civilization, who like is a feel, little counterintuitive. Feel the need to like protect themselves. They have like a very like closed isolationist like type mountain, right? Like like Alexia had to like get in via like the pulleys and ropes and stuff. And she's like, no, we can't lose you and everything in your head. Like you have so much knowledge. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, because sort of traditionally, I guess we'd say the centaurs are, they're almost like you can read them as like metaphorical for, I mean, I, I am interested in this as someone who sort of works in like animal studies and posthumanism is the idea of like someone who's part animal and the centaurs as being sort of representative of like uncontrolled and unrestrained and even horses themselves as sort of being figurative. This is why like Poseidon is associated with horses because it's like a raw nature motif and centaurs are in greek mythology by and large like disruptive they raid they're they're they kind of they abduct when they're like drunk frat bros yeah they're yeah. like drunk frat bros sort of let off the chain yeah uh and yeah they're, yeah they're, they're prone to sort of excess in every sort of way um because and they have this sort of animalistic side to them the exception of course being chiron who's even his like lineage is like a, a bit apart from the rest of the centaurs and he is the trainer of heroes, so like Achilles and Jason, which is why like Alexia is, is being sort of looped into this sort of hero, like like the almost like teacher lineage or something. I've like you know Chiron; he, these are all of his students, and this is his like pedigree, so to speak. They almost become like, to my knowledge, they almost they become like elves mm. in this show, where they're these like kind of nature based wise like Chiron Chiron's got that sweet sweet planetarium that he busts out <laughs> at one point where he's got like an accurate representation of the movement of the stars yeah and then it was really weird because like Neil deGrasse Tyson's voice was just like the <laughs> yeah yeah they're very interesting I think it's it's interesting to me that the show kind of falls into the um idea that these sort of ancient nature creatures have access to all the knowledge mm-hmm. um or as all this like esoteric like cuneo you know understanding what what language the cuneiform is and being able to read it and yeah you know he takes like one look at the map and he's like oh it's a constellation keyed map which kind of gets into some interesting anthropological ideas of like the noble savage and sort of the difference between the knowledge of the gods which is like automata and Speaking of which, the only, the one and only thing that matters to me is Hephaestus's automaton owl. Oh, oh my yeah. God, it's the only oh thing. Go back to Clash of the Titans. Yes. Yeah, that's a booboo <laughs> reference. <laughs> which I love. It's the only thing that matters to me. I've never seen Clash of the Titans. Don't, it's the original I one, too. It. Like, it's old school reference. Yeah. Well, in the new yeah. one, they take out Bubo and they're like, what's that? And they're like, it's junk. And they throw it out. And then, and it's really weird because someone like literally just starts peeing on it. And it was like, I was like super rude. Okay. <laughs> I made that last part up. But. Anyway, 
you know, like the different forms of knowledge that are possessed by the by the gods and the centaurs is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I hadn't really thought about that before. The other thing about Chiron that I thought about was there's a lot uh, in these back half episodes. There's a lot of Empire Strikes Back <laughs> moments. And Chiron is like almost like a one to one Lando Calrissian sure, figure yeah. where he like betrays uh-huh. the team or he betrays Alexia to save his yep. people from the Empire. Sure. And then at the end kind of comes back and helps yeah. out. And then the other Empire Strikes Back moment is when Heron has yes. the vision of his friends getting hurt with the fates. And he's like, and he needs to leave. And then Zeus is like, like, Heron, your training you must complete. Um, which is real weird that he talked like that for like a minute. Totally. Yeah. And then like Heron had to like go into like a cave and he had to like fight a, you know, like, fight Seraphim. But when he cut off Seraphim's head, it was his own face. And it was like... So, like, I thought it was a little weird, but, like, it was very much, like, there's a lot of Empire Strikes Back, and I read, like, I just became fixated on the idea of Chiron as just Lando. I, okay, I have a question. I am totally unclear on what happened with the map, because in the scene where Chiron, where, like, the demons show up, and Chiron, like, knocks some mud onto the map and stands on it. Yeah. Which, to me, was like, oh, he's hiding the map, and then he gives Seraphim a fake map. But then I was like, wouldn't Seraphim look at the map? Wouldn't, like, even if Does he doesn't he do it in map? that scene. Does he know where it is? No, I think that right, he, like, my reading was, and this probably wouldn't work if the map was drawn on with, like, ink. But my reading was <laughs> that he, like, made a copy of the map with the mud. And he did, like, a print of it somewhere else. So that's, that was my second thought. That would make was sense. like, okay. okay. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but how? But that also how? wouldn't work. <laughs> right. It doesn't, like, it makes sense on some level, kind of. but like Colin said, it's a two-dimensional object with ink on that it. That is center yeah. knowledge like beyond our understanding, obviously. Oh, God. <laughs> mm, you're right. What, 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 what you, you failed to realize, though, is, is that centaur hooves have tiny little hands inside them that just made a copy of the map. <laughs> oh. Ooh. oh, that is so creepy. I love it. Those little feli. <laughs> I just, I'm very confused by that. But you know what? You're right. The hands in the centaur hoof solves that oh, yeah. problem. Really so thank does. you. Yes. Um. <laughs> okay. I have questions uh, about the ending. Are we, are we that so far? Let's, let's get back to, let's, let's finish up with the archer question. And then we Ooh, need to archer, talk about yes. Oh yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So. My only thought about the archer, and like Christie's exactly right, because like archery very often in like Greek heroic traditions is a sort of lesser than practice. Like the main the main heroes usually fight with like shield and spear, and to a lesser extent, a sword or some other, which leads me to another thought, but I'll come back to that in a second. So I don't really have much to say about it other than I think they just maybe wanted someone to have a bow because it's sort of like you can't round out your fantasy party unless somebody has a bow. Or maybe also as a way so you don't get Heron to fight Seraphim sort of hand-to-hand because Seraphim would presumably uh, annihilate him. Uh, But that's all I really have. I will say Heron has made the bow look about as good as Legolas made it look. So, like, Mm. he was doing good work with the bow. I'm not complaining on that front. Um, And Heracles, like, completed some of his labors with a bow and arrow. So it's not totally out of the realm of significant. Mm -hmm. But I, I thought that was interesting. And eventually... Uh, I think my understanding is the sword got left behind with Talos. So this is yes. Okay. So this is my. He's gonna I'm have like, to go get the sword at some point, right? I really kept expecting him to get the sword from Seraphim. Yes. Some, or at some point, I was like, why? Mm-hmm. I had actually convinced myself that by the end of the show, 
he had already like I had like invented a like Mandela effect to memory where Heron got the sword at the end and it like did something. But then I, I finished. I'm like, oh, no, Heron never got the magic sword back. And then so, in fact, Zeus made the sword. Seraphim was the only person who used it. If Zeus had never made the sword, none of this would have ever happened. Okay, hear me out. Wait, I'm sorry, Colin. If Zeus hadn't blanked, then none of this would have happened. This is true. Is literally the plot of the show. <laughs> and Greek mythology half the time. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, I retract my point that you are correct. <laughs> but yeah, as far as we know, that magic sword that Zeus made is uh, at the bottom of the ocean with Talos. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think it would be interesting to sort of, I mean, I, I like that it's sort of, you know, when we have the training sequence, he tries to train with like a, well, I guess he trains with a sword and shield mm-hmm. against a spear, yeah. but he just fails over and over and over again until he figures out like, oh, I can pinpoint sort of, you know, joints or shoot my sword through the joint. Yeah. And I like the acknowledgement towards the end that like the strength that Zeus might have is not the same strength that Heron might have. But then, of course, Heron suddenly can summon lightning. So mm-hmm. you know, whatever. Um, my only complaint is that Heron is not wearing brightly colored Scythian pants the whole time. Yes. As he should be. <laughs> and I. Just- that is the thing Eli and I actually have talked about and want to see in one of these things we review is like the, yes. the trousers with the eyeballs on them. Love um, it. Yeah. Or so the bad. various like um, patterns. And so for those of you who might not know this, ancient Greek statuary was painted and barbarians or non-Greeks is probably, you know, the, the mm-hmm. correct term that the Greeks would call barbarians tended to wear pants. And there's just some beautiful recreations of pants wearing. I think this is the one I just shared with our group that, you know, may, may end up in the notes. I don't know. Is oh, a it's Scythian all gone archer. and we hold nothing back on this show. <laughs> <laughs> with a Scythian archer, uh, Scythian archer with just this incredible like hippie pants. Like they're just psychedelic. They look like leggings and to me now. Like you could go okay. yeah, and no, get they you can get them. Them. They're yoga pants. You can get them as leggings. I'm trying to find out, find <laughs> where you can buy these leggings. Oh, amazing. They exist. Next conference, <laughs> I'm going to roll up looking yes. like this. Be a good look. Anyway, that's my only complaint about him being an archer is that he doesn't have the the pants. Mm-hmm. And he, he's he's wearing a very sort of his tunic is barely there, as oh, it should be. He is <laughs> scantily clad, that man. I mean, to be fair, if this was true Greek myth, they'd all be naked the whole time. This is it's true. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that that seemed accurate to me. Again, nudity. It all comes back to Netflix promising nudity, and then we only get titties. And, like, that's not nudity, you guys. (laughs) And giant titties. Right, giant titties, which I'm, you know, thank you. But (laughs) We got to talk about the giants. We do need to talk about the giants. Please. I love the monster design. I think it's so cool. Um, I kept changing which one was my favorite because they just kept getting weirder and more wonderful. I do. Which one is everyone's favorite? I do love the Artem, uh, the Artemis of Ephesus, the multiple boobed one. But I, I think I like it was like I think it's scorpion guy who can like roll into a ball. Mm. Uh, he was pretty cool. It's all very like it, I mean I, this is again I was wondering this because I described this I think earlier as like an anime influenced, but then I. The show introduces itself, I finally noticed, as a Netflix anime. But then I was, like, in my 
pedantic self. I was like, well, it's only anime if it comes from the anime region of Japan. Otherwise, it's just sparkling <laughs> cartoons. Technically, <laughs> technically, I looked this up because there is gripe about this. So although it's produced by How- Powerhouse Animation Studios, its animation is outsourced to South Korean studios called Moa Film and Hanho Hyungup, who have also worked mm-hmm. with Disney. So not Japanese, but at least Asian. So this is the thing that's really common. Um, I was watching a, a, an interview with an, an animator and they were talking about like a lot of times Amer- like animation studios, like they kind of outsource and ship out parts of the project and very of like Japanese animation studios tend to be very in-house and kind of like every studio is kind of its own thing. And then they, it's a lot of vertical integration. They kind of make the shows from the bottom up, whereas like other like shows tend to outsource the the labor. And then the U.S. tends to work really closely with studios in South Korea. So like, for example, like Legend of Korra, a lot of that show was animated in South Korea. Uh, and things, and that this is this is another example. Um, well, and the reason they they do that is because for some reason, especially like millennials and Gen Z, I'm sure is getting there. It's like it's not necessarily cool as an adult to say that I watch cartoons, but mm-hmm. like watching animes, like you're you're like nerdy, classy watching anime. Like it is acceptable mm-hmm. in a way that watching cartoons, which I also do. Uh, is not so mm-hmm. shout out to star versus the forces of evil from disney because i also love that which is very much a cartoon so i stand for steven universe among others yeah. but, um. <laughs> in my head it's like cartoons are aimed at children though not necessarily consumed by them and in my head anime is sort of aimed at older audiences though not necessarily consumed by them is that Well, then you got like The Simpsons or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the traditional sort of background, but I think more and more cartoons and cartoon styles of art are being used to do adult shows. Like The Simpsons is a really good early example, but like Bob's Burgers is not really a show for children. Bojack? Definitely not for children. Right. Yeah. Like all of that. Right. Bojack is absolutely not a show for children. No, no, no. But they're not anime right in the same right. way that's true okay you're right oh but anyway but i was gonna say but the the anime influence i think shows its hand very strongly in the design of these monsters in the giants mm-hmm. they all very much feel they're very like kaiju-esque yes yes i was gonna say my favorite is the like i said i think earlier the giant bird one that flies over everyone and then like magnetizes them up into its wings <laughs> i um, like i like the one that had captured zeus and hera but like i like the version of when he's just been blasted by zeus so you just kind of get some muscle tissue and bone going i'm like that looks amazing and terrifying yeah yeah I I think my favorite is the weird lizard lady that like she's really close to the ground. With the laser and she, like, eyes, yeah, right? skitter. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think she has the laser mouth and she like skitters around. And <laughs> I think I like her because I feel like she killed the most gods by the end of it. Yeah. Well, I think also part of it. I mean, and this is I'm looking at a picture of them all sort of side by side now. And as with a lot of modern sort of animation or. Uh, a lot of modern monster design, the sort of biologically male monsters get a lot more sort of diversity of forms. Mm-hmm. So you've got weird bat, Batman, bird, magnetic, magnetic wingman. You've got mm-hmm. like creepy skeleton with his like crown thing, mm-hmm. man. Whereas sort of the the three or four sort of visibly biologically female, which you know, uh, whatever. Um, are much less 
diverse. Like you get sort of strong woman, dainty woman, and then you get lizard woman. And so that's one of the So another my bogus bunch of beans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Is is <laughs> yeah. dainty woman, strong woman like the the squid kind of Yeah, she's the tentacle yeah. woman. I feel like she could have done so much more. I feel like we saw her like very briefly. Yeah. I'm looking at this picture. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah this is just kind of a, a lineup of all of them. And yeah. um yeah, the you know, I just, guy. which I mean, to be fair to sort of the male monsters, the male giants, they also are all like ripped, except yeah. for Skeletor. Skeletor <laughs> is not ripped because he's a skeleton, but um, <laughs> they get a lot more sort of physical diversity in terms of, you know, their sort of weights and mm-hmm. their um, makeup. I mean, you've got the hundred hander who's just hands. Love him. So, <laughs> so cool. Like, Ugh. yeah. And, Everyone is smooth as a Ken doll, though. I was just going <laughs> to yeah. say that. I was like, there's no genitalia. Like, if we're going right. to so like, keep okay. promising nudity and they keep failing on that promise. <laughs> Sorry, Are not to like, bring it back to nudity. I'm trying to remember in the show if there's any point where there's like human breasts. I feel no. like there is, but I can't pinpoint it. There's I think not, there's though. like well, side boob because I think in the threesome yeah. scene, like her hair covers them, but you can yeah, tell. Yeah, her she's, hair does the mermaid yeah, thing. Yeah, she's like mermaid nipple just nipple covers i feel like castlevania did castlevania definitely had some real nudity going but like yeah not yeah you don't you don't get any butts you don't get any like human nudity so because like Hera, you know you can see half of her boob yeah on either side of her dress but like she has tasteful side boob boob going there's like a rule (laughs) in like for like at least in i think in like just at least in live action there's like a rule of like what percentage of like Rest or butt can be covered before you like get bumped up to the next yeah. like rating level. Um, my other favorite game is also like you're in a PG 13 movie, you're allowed one F bomb. Yep. Um, but like, where do you drop it? Yeah, where do you put it? But I mean, all of my griping aside, I think the giants are exceptionally well designed. So mm-hmm. cool. And I think they really got to go to town with what primordial creatures of the deep would look like. Yeah. And they're so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like them. Yeah. All, uh, hands like all of the griffin again i'm glad there's like not no, screw R.I.P. Griffin. horses give me a griffin no. give me a, like we can we can find better monsters for our steeds basically yeah caron the fates like they imagined those so well like mm-hmm. i enjoyed that part so much yeah so we we can talk sort of in the final moments because and I, I particularly want to hear eli's thoughts on this because basically in the final moments of the battle, as they're trying to get the get the cauldron back to get the giants back in their vault, and then the the, the, the gods have sort of a war with one another. Then there's a betrayal, and then everything. Um, Heron defeats Seraphim by unlocking his Zeus powers, but in this fight, Zeus sacrifices himself basically. And there's a callback to kind of the the first battle with the giants, where he he when he basically him and Hera kind of connect for the first time. Um, and Hera, Hera also, I forgot, Hera gets her arm chopped off. And then we don't see her again, right? Yeah, so yeah. we don't, yeah. So where it ends, and this, I guess, is probably should be the final thing we talk about, but where it ends was, like, the final reveal with Hades at the end. So we kind of have, like, where, where like, what does everyone think about where we've ended and then potentially where the show could go from here? So I was thinking back to a conversation we had last week about how we're representing good and evil, but I, I thought it was interesting to note that Ares and Hades are both more white and they're closely sh- like shaven heads and they give me slightly like uh, skinheady 
yeah, skinhead kind of vibes. And like, you're getting the sense that they're evil and we haven't seen enough of Hades. And like, I always get really frustrated of Hades being depicted as out to get all his other siblings. Because as far as Greek mythology tells us, Zeus gave Hades his daughter Persephone and he's chill. Like, yeah, Underworld's not the best thing to rule, but like he's he never appears overly ambitious in mythology. Um, so like all of these modern adaptations that are like, oh, he and that's what I hated, too, is like Hera has this righteous anger, but it appears to be manipulated behind behind the scenes by Hades the whole time, which is really frustrating. So I find a lot of that very interesting. I did write down possible predictions for the next season. So we're, I'm hoping to get some Alexia backstory as well as Evios and Kofi. would love to know more about them. I think the demons are still going to be present just because we have even more giant bodies laying around now. So like, I imagine that's going to continue to be a problem. Because Hera got her arm chopped off, I'm really hoping for a Hera Hephaestus moment because like, where else are you going to get like... Um, yeah, a, new, a prosthetic. A prosthetic. Yes. You're going to go yes. to Hephaestus. So I was like, I'm kind of hoping for that oh, moment. Oh, man. That's a conversation. Yeah. Oh, that would be so good. Trade the sword from Talos and then go on an underworld journey because you know Hades is involved in somehow. So, like, those are my general predictions. Um, but, like, that Hephaestus Hera moment is kind of one I really want, especially because there was such a good Hephaestus Zeus moment that I could, I could see them doing something really fun with that. Yeah. I, so... I quite liked the ending and I I actually cried when just little tears not like I'm not super emotional about this but a little emotional <laughs> you have a Nero moment Zeus- you're like one tear for me <laughs> and one tear for the show <laughs> when Zeus becomes a lightning bomb mm-hmm. um, and not because I was sad that Zeus died <laughs> but because seeing Hera realize how badly she had up and like the the power of her having gone through both having been betrayed both i mean the scene where zeus is like they will betray you and you see hera like thinking and she doesn't explicitly say this but it's i mean pretty was clear to me that she was going i've already been betrayed so many times by you what's one more betrayal and, like, at least them, I don't care about. I'm not married to them. Mm-hmm. Like, you are the person, you know, you saved me from that original giant. Like, you winked at me. You know, we got out together. And you still treat me the way you treat me. So, like, so what if they betray me? Like, that was really, like, gut-punching mm-hmm. to me. <laughs> and and then, of course, when he dies and Hera has this, like, <laughs> oh, oh shit, like all of this I did because I was really mad at him and now he's gone and now I'm realizing that actually my anger was really destructive and bad. I mean, not unjustified, but badly sort of projected outwards Mm -hmm. and very damaging to everyone around me and sort of her moment of like, oh shit, was like really emotional to me and I was sad that I didn't get more from that i'm really interested to see i'm hoping hera comes back I mean, she has to right like yeah. i want to oh, see yeah. hera dealing with the consequences because 
at the very end, we see sort of Heron wake up in this very Lord of the Rings Frodo waking up and like yeah, it the was, Hobbit it was coming so strange in. When he wakes up and then Gandalf is like, it is the 13th of the <laughs> Yes. Um, right, yeah. And then like Pippin and Mary walked in. Right. And, like, last yeah. It was real strange. And then. And like Sam is weird and standoffish and shy about it all. You yeah. know, I was like, what movie am I watching now? But, you know, he wakes up and he like goes to the bathhouse and there's like, oh god sitting in the pool and they're like kicking their legs and like everything's fine and i was like surely everyone's a more traumatized than this <laughs> i wonder <Right>? if <laughs> do it like because we get a we have the pleasure of watching zeus die like three times practically and yeah. the moment you're talking about is zeus chose to sacrifice himself and like that hit Hera right. versus like the second time Hera's like special delivery stabbed to the neck and like mm-hmm. right yeah. Yeah. oh that felt good <laughs> Yeah. Right. You're like, mm, yes, good job. Well done. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm very interested to see how the next, if the next season deals with sort of the trauma of like Olympus being taken more or less. Like, you know, Zeus has this speech of like, no army has ever taken Olympus, but the giants would have won. Mm-hmm. If, if the whole cauldron plot hadn't played out the way it did, the giants would have won in Olympus has been forever scarred by this fight. So I really want to see them sort of try and dig into that a little bit more. And I'm excited to see sort of, hopefully Hera will come back. Hopefully we'll get to sort of see that. I really hope Zeus doesn't come back. Mm-hmm. They didn't have like a soul scene with Zeus, which makes me think he probably won't in the same way that Seraphim got that soul scene at the end. Yeah. yeah. So I'm hoping, I hope Zeus stays dead. I've had. I've, I'm done with Zeus. Like, I was done with Zeus in episode one. Like, but like, Zeus got a slight <laughs> redemption arc, like slight. Like he tried to atone. Right. He sacrificed himself, and like if that's how it goes out, I'm okay with it. So, right, exactly. In terms of what I want, like in addition to that, um, in terms of myth, I mentioned on the last episode I'd really like to see Persephone and see. I mean, specifically maybe some like Persephone Hera Ooh, stuff of yes. speaking of like maligned wives. That might be really interesting to sort of dig into and uh, pull apart, especially if, like Christy, I don't love the characterization of Hades as being inherently evil. But if that's the route they choose to go on, who is Persephone <laughs> and like what has Persephone gone through yeah. and some real like goddess wife queen bonding between Persephone and Hera would cleanse my soul. <laughs> so, but I mean, I will say my last thing, I will say I'm very excited for season two after watching the last four episodes. First four episodes, I was like, I don't, I I couldn't care less about season two. And after these last four, I'm like, I want to watch that now. Yeah. Like, so. Because we don't have to have any more backstory. It's like, we can just keep going. No more. No more backstory. No more right. flashbacks. No, we really didn't need all that backstory. My like one sort of like just not gripe or something, but like one change is in in the final kind of moments of the last episode, there's a very heavy handed use of flashback, mm-hmm. which I think we could have done with a lot less of. And this is, this has to, I think, do with the way we consume this show where like I watched all four episodes basically in one, or these four episodes in one sitting. And I had just seen these scenes, so I don't need them played out in basically like they basically repeated the scenes. Mm-hmm. Like I really right. like I I like the use of like a, a a quick callback to an earlier scene or a line of it. But I feel like we need we only need like one shot or one line or two 
not the entire scene. And it was it was when Zeus was um, Zeus and Hera, like Zeus's final moments. And then again with Seraphim and, and Heron, it felt like we got like half of episode five in episode eight. Yeah. Just like played back to us. Mm-hmm. Which is a money saving technique for most animation. This is true. But season, but episode eight is 37 minutes long. It's much longer than all the other ones. Yeah. But yeah, it, that, that is def- absolutely a thing. There was, a, there was an infamous episode of Legend of Korra where they rely a lot on older they, footage. They were so mad about that too. I know. I feel bad because when they, they explained it, it was like, it was either we do an episode like this or like we have to fire people early. Uh, and like we needed it to like keep the lights on in the show. How about more extensive funding of the arts? I know, right? Yeah. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one other thing I wanted as I was hearing people talk, at some point Zeus acknowledges that Perseus and Heracles were real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially because he's a god. Can we just have some Heracles in here? I, want I wonder it. if Heracles yeah. is, like, I wonder, I almost wonder if he's one of the background characters and I just didn't notice him. I didn't see didn't anyone buff him. enough. I was looking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Only the, oh man, can you imagine if that eight foot tall buff woman was Heracles? <laughs> yes. That would have made sense. Heraclea. That would have made so that much sense. That would have been so so good. Oh. oh my god, that would have been so I want good. That. We could have had it all. <laughs> okay, I think my my like maybe disappointment in the ending is Seraphim because mm. I I feel like I'm not I'm not happy with I guess that he died. I, I kept expecting him to like get a chance to have a redemption arc. And I mean, it seems like he's going to be around and is now enslaved by Hades, question mark. Which is the ultimate punishment. Like, he always just didn't want to be someone's pawn, right? Like, that's kind of why I get the no at the end. was just like, oh, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I just... Oh, beans. (laughs) Not again. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted so bad for him and Heron to, like, actually have a better conversation other than just we're like facing off with our armies or we're physically trying to kill each other. I wanted, I wanted them to have like a a heart to heart, a bro conversation. And then I want them to go on the road together and have a buddy cop comedy. Cause I think it would be beautiful. (laughs) I, I am ready for like post redemption, Seraphim and Heron, like Heron getting into hijinks and Seraphim having to like, come by and pluck his much smaller brother <laughs> out of like whatever fight he got himself into yes, yes. or like Heron braiding seraphim's long glorious <laughs> hair like i'm very ready for for their um for their exploration of brotherhood and like yeah. the power of i mean this is seen a lot in found family tropes of like the power of finding family yeah. in places where you don't expect it when you've lost everything else like they have the very real chance of brotherhood exactly. in both a biological sense, but more importantly in a emotional sense. Although Heron um, gets that on Mount Olympus, like he got all the brothers true. and sisters. But like true, nobody's true. gonna give Seraphim that chance, right? Mm-hmm. Except for maybe Heron. So he's like he's the only one yeah. who could maybe actually bring him back from the edge. And I feel like we don't. He doesn't like give him a chance. This is like right. one of your as you're talking now it reminds me it's like one of those I think kind of unfortunate tropes in movies and, and storytelling sort of large where it's almost like a rich get the rich get richer and the poor get poorer kind of thing where like Heron is sort of sort of privileged or blessed with these kind of advantages and then like his 
his arc kind of is and like what and then he does experience hardship but like his his star sort of ascends where a seraphim who kind of starts out in the hole mm-hmm. just kind of further just goes down further into the hole yeah which like some of that is his own choices right and we sort of talked about them being like you know the two paths that you can take with your anger and it's very mm-hmm. much like the white cowboy hat and the black cowboy hat at this point but it's it's like I feel like that would be the most satisfying redemption arc. Then it's like yeah, I'm expecting Heron's star to ascend, but bringing Seraphim back from the edge would be so so satisfying. So I really hope that there that we do get more Seraphim and that he gets to that point where he can make choices and he can maybe make the right choices. Well, and I mean I think it'll be interesting because. Zeus was like, well, I could, you know, revert Seraphim back to his human form. And now Heron seems to have all of Zeus's abilities. I thought of that. Well, okay, yeah. all is a weird thing. But like he suddenly, you know, Zeus dies and then he has his little mm-hmm. like Yoda moment. You, you know, be one with the force. Mm-hmm. And then he yep. can control lightning, which he then uses to obliterate his brother. But, you know, in theory, because Zeus had that power, yeah. so should Hera. Mm-hmm. So that could be really interesting of like a, you know, as we talked about in the last episode, a descent into the underworld, a catabasis, mm-hmm. uh, much like Heracles yes, and yes, trying yes. to bring something back from the underworld and having it be Seraphim. I mean, if he has to pick, oh man, can you imagine <gasps> if he had to like pick between his mom and Seraphim though? Mm, that actually is a really great idea. That's a great idea. He's not going to pick Seraphim. You know, Electra's going to be like, no, take your brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Of course right, she is. I know. Yeah. We, the woman is going to sacrifice herself. We know I that's how it's going to go. One, right. I hope Charlie and Vlas are listening to this and then we say that and they're like, ah, oh, shit. And they like start scribbling out something. Oh, <laughs> but that's I am here idea. for your uh, storyboarding needs. I make no money. Hire <laughs> me. But yes, I am also now very excited for season two. It, it should be coming, coming out fairly soon, I think. I don't know, actually, no. I looked it up. I looked it up and they officially made the announcement in December 2020 that there would be a season two. And I think it took them over a year of production. So we should probably expect something in spring of next year. Okay, that would okay. make sense. Okay. On the side on the side of things, because Disney is full bent doing live action versions of all of their uh, animated versions, there is going to be a new Disney live action Hercules. No. And, oh. But no. Done by, done by a guy who's apparently involved in Marvel and he believes that it is worthy of multiple movies. No. So, <laughs> do you know who it is? I forget. I, it was a BuzzFeed article that was like, what are the next 10 Disney movies that are going to be live action? And that was mentioned as one of them. Don't touch Disney's Hercules. It's perfect. I know. I, it doesn't need to be a live action remake. No one. Leave it alone. No, there are too many well, Hercules not, movies to be. already. Like, With the exception of Jungle Book. That one I liked. Listen, the only way I will. Well, okay, I will never accept it. But also, if they do not cast Danny DeVito again, <laughs> I will throw. I will fit. personally <laughs> tear down Disney. <laughs> <laughs> With my hands. <laughs> I'm just I'm Disney headquarters. It. I'm coming if you don't have Danny DeVito. I'm picturing it. I remember just I like I was it. trying to coax Zoe down from like you're like Zoe, you put. <laughs> well, and to me, one of my favorite parts about that movie is the music, and they're like undecided if it's going to have the music, and I'm like, then don't have it. Oh, 
I feel like it. Oh, oh. It's like Mulan all over again. I never saw Mulan. I still haven't I, watched the Mulan yet. I, I still need to watch Raya and the Last Dragon. That I did watch that. I do want to see. And Honest Trailers was very accurate. And then like the the message being like trust people and like for the entirety of the movie is showing that trusting people gets you stabbed in the back, except for the very <laughs> end. So it's like, yeah, that's oh. a mixed message. <laughs> oh, I don't like that. <laughs> very pretty, though. I will say that. It looks very pretty. Funny. Yeah. yeah. Okay, here's a question. I know we're coming up on two hours of recording, but <laughs> if you had to live action cast Blood of Zeus characters, who would you pick? Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm not good with- Sorry. <laughs> I just, we need somebody who's like, <laughs> who can be charismatic enough while being like a blank piece of white paper that is Heron. <laughs> mm. He's so boring. <laughs> So we need somebody really yeah. like magnet. Mag- oh, oh, okay. The guy whatever. from who I believe is a beautiful Greek man. Anyway, he, maybe he's too old now, but the guy who's from uh, Entourage. Right? The guy who was the boyfriend in uh, Devil Wears Prada. I think so. He's in a few different things. He's just a beautiful oh. Greek man in general. Oh, I, I like I know who you mean. Adrian Grenier. I don't see him as like an action hero. I guess well, Heron's not I think really this an is- action hero. My gripe against a lot of like fan casting is that they they tend to fixate on appearance, mm. and it's very surface level. Yeah, like, and they're like, oh, this person has the right sort of build and skin tone and hair color. Like, therefore, they're the right. That's fine for Heron. He has nothing else going. Right. There's nothing <laughs> else nothing to else. recommend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, you got to cast like an. You got It's like like when um Paul Verhoeven cast for Starship Troopers. He like deliberately cast a bunch of like actors who were in like high school teen dramas because he basically wanted like the most vapid people ever to be in that movie. It worked. Man. I was gonna say Alexis Yoroulis, who is the actor from My Life yeah. in Ruins, who played like the mm. hunky bus driver. But he's old enough now that I think he could be a great I can see that. Zeus. Yeah. Because I he has a beard. Like, yeah. Just kinda like right. And like most of his characters that I've seen. He's in um, the Durrells. He's like kind of like a little bit more like fun and upbeat, but I think he could be really, I think he could be really good as Zeus. Yes. Um, oh. Versus, I just watched Mare of Easttown, which was very good, and Kate Winslet. Like, I could see making a very good Hera just because, like, mm. I love Kate Winslet. Yeah. No, actually, no, you know who I want to see? When I kind of want for Hera, maybe this is just influenced by recent media appearance, Gillian Anderson. Yes. That would be good. Oh, that would just make. Hera even more like the ideal woman. <laughs> yeah. My thoughts exactly. <laughs> Would play Seraphim. That's the real question. In all of that like costume makeup. Ooh. Again, this is like the more interesting character. Mm-hmm. With, you gotta think, yeah, you gotta think about like who can deliver that that kind of energy, right? Mm-hmm. Like I almost kind of I forget the guy who plays Loki, who is also in a new Disney. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. yeah. Mm, Tom Hiddleston. But he's not quite sexy enough for me to really pull that no, off. No, you need someone with like intent. You need like an intense person. He's also very twiggy. Yeah. No offense, Tom Hiddleston. Your body is perfect, but like you need someone who's buff. Yeah. yeah. I, like because he's kind of got to be scary. Right. But you're it's a like, hard combination. Yeah. You, he's like so easy, buff and scary. He's like the so bad easy guy, anime. but you're, but you're I mean, kind of like want to see him win. <laughs> maybe Henry Cavill reprising after, a white-haired after watch, prosthetic after watching, Witcher uh, The Witcher 
can I get the Witcher Henry Cavill doing yes. that? Then yes. yes. Oh yeah, no. He's the only Henry Cavill I accept. <laughs> There's like you need someone who's like legit like terrifying that I'm trying to think like that's really what I want from Sarah from like someone like when you're standing in a room with him, you are afraid for everyone around you. Henry Cavill's like too gentle. But it, but like in the end, Seraphim's kind of a pussy too because he gets the information from Acrisius, or he gets the information from Zeus, kills Acrisius, and is and then is still doing the bidding of Hera. And you're like, why? You got what you wanted. Like if you're going to, I like I get the idea is like, oh, I'm going to somehow backstab her to get a hold of the cauldron. Well, I mean, he right. does that actually. Does that? But like, is that really what his game plan was? Like, or was that opportunity taking place? I don't get it. Ares helping what Hera about? makes perfect sense the whole entire time. He's a whipped mama's what about boy. Jason Momoa. Yes. Ooh, I can oh, see that. As Seraphim. He's like, he's a, like broad shoulders. Yeah, I can see that. Right. He's he big. <laughs> he he large boy. <laughs> and I mean, he's again sort of silly i think as a person but like i think he could pull off mm-hmm. scary Paul Drogo really well with like the, the, the pointy yeah. eyebrows that he has actually you know what i kind of want i need to look him up his name is anthony star but he's homelander oh. that's not helpful to me at all oh, shit yeah where he's like he's like a in real life he's like a gentle kind like bubbly okay. person but, but he's, he's terrifying he is like he is like a complete yes. psychopath that, that looks very doable that actually mm-hmm. works really well for me uh who else would be other i continue to still haven't found a hair on yet no i continue to just want evios to be varic which is not helpful but like <laughs> i just wanted his voice to change into varic's voice like halfway through the episode and be like you're so close you're so close to being there but then like julie pops out and, yes! and like he like <laughs> get a julie yeah, I'm trying to think of like I would have said, you know, like ten years ago I would have said Channing Tatum for like That's what I hate now is like I am now of an age where actors that I feel like would fill these slots, I look at pictures of like the Friends reunion, and I'm like, Oh my god, you're so old. What happened? Why? Okay. <laughs> what about what about hear me out, Joshua Bassett, um, most famous for supposedly being the ex-boyfriend of Olivia Rodrigo, whose beautiful album came out recently. He's just the most generic-looking 18-year-old man I've ever seen. Love it. So basically, he looks a little bit like Timothy Chalamet, but better fed. Okay. Oh, like yep. Timothy Chalamet looks like he's emaciated all the time. I see this. So, so basically, we need to go to like Nickelodeon <laughs> Disney stars currently. I love Timothy Chalamet. I think. He's- oh, I do too. But like, <laughs> yeah. his, it's no. The, I, like, see, I know what you mean. Yeah. Versus tiny facial oh, yeah. features. He's so just- like like wraith like or something. He looks like yes. he's about to snap yes. in half, like constantly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I like the Chrissy point. Like for hair on, you should scoop up like a Disney star or something. Like whoever's yeah. on Wizards. Well, Joshua of- Bassett. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. He was the star of High School, the musical. Hi- okay. I was going to say, the show. You gotta go- that's why I said Zach Efron. It's like, you got to go to like whatever the high school musical thing they're they're doing right now. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I want Ashley Tisdale to play like Aphrodite or something for some reason. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. What is this? <laughs> this is the the monster that I always knew I needed in my life. <laughs> Live action clubs. <laughs> what have we done? No, let's not go there. Let's but not give them like, ideas. We, this is we're, this is like again. We talked about the live action Death Note last time. Yeah, no, I don't think we need. <laughs> we're playing this. with fire. Let's go there. No one needs this. <laughs> 
Oh, you're right. I'm going to have to edit out, out a lot about our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> as I look, as we're now approaching three hours, I'm like, I love that our conversation like does not watch for content, but I'm also like, oh God, I got to edit this. No, no, we're only two hours. <laughs> keep, it two hours. keep it safe. We're only two, two hours, hours in. We're not that crazy no, yet. Only. <laughs> we can talk for another hour about this, right? <laughs> Again, my biggest mystery, I will, I will end with this. My biggest mystery is who is Apollo sleeping with? I want to know who is specifically the guy who isn't in the Apollo lilac. Sleeping with? But I mean, like in the scene, and who is wearing the lilac sure. robes? I want to know. Like he kept popping in. Like in the, we're judging you, Zeus. You just screwed up. Mm-hmm. And he's like there in the background. Like who the f- is that? I can identify just about everyone else, but who's the purple robe guy? And I hate it. Also, love that he. So the this lover, anonymous lover of Apollo is on sort of Hera's side of things and yet still sleeps with, is still like- A lot of the battle lines were interesting. Mm-hmm. Like like you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned Hephaestus, like you wouldn't think he would be on Zeus's side. Yeah. yeah. Um, Another goddess that isn't explicitly named, but who I'm pretty sure I've identified correctly as being Hestia. Mm-hmm. She's slightly older and has her hair kind of up with this mm. sort of like flame-like oh, I, diadem. Mm-hmm. I thought that was Demeter, but I think you're right. I think it's Hestia. Oh, maybe it could be. I just, it didn't have like the- she didn't the have any sort of grainy. Yeah, I would expect more obvious grain symbolism. But I was like, Hestia of all the goddesses would just be like, "Screw this! I am too old. Stay away from me and my hearth. Like, go away. I don't care about this. Yeah, you are all babies. Oh, that's what I want. Aphrodite just being like things up because it's like I'm gonna make weird people fall in love with each other and see what happens. <laughs> I love it. That would have been we mentioned so that the good. that the fates like like have power over Zeus, but it's very explicit in Homeric Ham that Aphrodite has power over all the gods, Zeus mm-hmm. included. Yes. Love is inescapable and you can't. Could we have you know, seen a bitch that. fight between sorry, between Hera and Aphrodite? Because like Hera's just like that whore to Electra the whole time. Like, why are you blaming Electra? She didn't even know. Like some right, victim blaming yeah. stuff. It's like, why does this? Like, why does she never go to Aphrodite and chew her out for this whole mess? Right. Yeah. Well, why wasn't? Why didn't Hera try one of her? You know, she does this in the Iliad where she goes to Aphrodite and Aphrodite makes her like super sexy mm-hmm. so that she can seduce Zeus to get Zeus like distracted so that her side of things can go according to her plans. Why didn't she try that again? Didn't she? This is again maybe like there are certain things that we just need to accept for the sh- for the plot and the show to happen. But like my reading was like, in what world would any person in their mind cheat on this Hera? Yeah, what, what, <laughs> right? She's terrifying. What does say? Or like Zeus says, like only a fool would trust her, and Poseidon said, I was like, no, only a fool would make anger her mad, yeah, would like piss anger her, off. her. Yeah, it's like yeah. This woman is well, intense. Which also, I, I didn't mention it, but I need to like make it into a gif and put it somewhere in the show. My favorite shot all time is the beginning of um, it's maybe it's the last or the second last episode. But when Poseidon, like when Hera promises the sea to the giants, yes. and Poseidon's just watching, <laughs> and he like slowly dips below, and it's like Poseidon out. <laughs> and Zeus calls it. She so was like, good. she was gonna screw you over, wasn't she? Like, shut up. Yes. Like it was such a brother moment. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we know besides like I love fish like you know I love the sea I, 
I, oh, speaking of the sea and fish, I had this moment. So when they're on the galleys and Zeus is like, I'm going to get really like double down on my involvement. And he shoots lightning down. Oh, he shoots like, like 10,000 <laughs> like, lightning down. Right. And I was like, how did that not electrocute all of the humans in the water? Like there, there are people in the water all around that lightning strike. Yep. And I was so curious that I went and looked it up and it would have. And then I was like, oh, well, you know, whatever. It's magic. Like, mm, yeah. it's a god. And later. And then he later, he and Poseidon team up to do the exact same thing. He electrocutes a bunch of the giants by lightning bolting water. And I was like, you can't have it both ways, my friend. I mean, you can. He is the god of lightning, so he just has very okay. minute control over it. Kept it to the ship, Listen, which is not a conductor. There has to but... be rules. He cannot. But he does. He does shoot the water eventually. Yeah. Like, because there's the scene where they're all like floating around, and he's like, "I'm gonna have a little temper tantrum." Mm-hmm. I'm like. It's very cool. It's visually amazing with these like big bubbles of steam eruptions happening. But I was just like, you just killed everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I'm going to. Anyway, just just things Zoe thinks about. <laughs> My biggest takeaway is like, I think the writers really need to get some women in there to help. Like they've done some yeah. good stuff with a lot of the characters. And it's just like those moments of like the he said, she said moment, like. Someone could have called that out pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, how s- many women? Sorry, go ahead, Christy. I was just gonna say you have the potential to like, like that was always my thing with Hera and Zeus as the representative like married couple. Is just women worshipped Hera for marriage. Realistically, men were telling these stories in the past. What were the women saying? And we can right. we can imagine. These myths, like, that's what I loved about this premise was like, this is another myth that didn't get written down. All right, let's make it more nuanced then. What were the women telling about their gods and goddesses? How were they representing Mm -hmm. those relationships? Get that version in because it was never written down. So that's, that's my ultimate takeaway in the end. Right. To answer your question, the production, the writing, the directing, like the creative, I think, decisions is predominantly men. And I think it shows. Yeah, like how many women have to die and or suffer in order to promote or sort of um, move along the man pain yeah. in mm-hmm. this show is kind of the end goal of the show of like, how many women can we harm, whether intentional or not, how many women can we harm in order to make the plot go forward is really how it comes down uh, at the end of it all. So <laughs> You're right, yeah. I mean, like... You got the obvious with like Electra and Hera, but like it was specifically when the parallels between Heron and Seraphim mm-hmm. and Heron was like, Oh, I know your pain, brother. And it was like, both of our mother figures were brutally, horribly murdered in front of our eyes. And it's just like. Except Seraphim was his mother and his aunt in that case. <laughs> it's just for good measure. <laughs> yeah. Or like, like it, it manifests, I think, also in the sense that like how much sort of FaceTime we get with Apollo. Mm-hmm. When Artemis is there, one would think that she would sort of be also like she is also as much as like Hermes and Apollo are mm-hmm. fellow bastard children of Zeus to yeah uh, to Heron. So is Artemis exactly yeah, and she's an archer. So right. if Heron's doing archery training, so is Apollo. Right. But like Apollo's on his chariot the whole time. Throw her in, like have show her investment in a sibling relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she's very, I mean, her characterization, I mean, she's beautiful, but like, she's not very Artemis. Well, she's like, she's in this like sort of tight, she's in this sort of like tight dress thing. And I just, 
it was kind of, you know, like, is that really how Artemis, famous, like, virgin goddess who would slaughter men for seeing her naked, would actually have dressed? Athena seemed yeah, underwhelming yeah. in that same regard. Like, Athena, the yeah. the woman born into armor. And I will say I appreciate that all the women had real armor going for them, at least. Unlike yes, how you could portray that. But still, like, there was nothing about Athena. Like, I knew it was Athena because she was hanging out with Ares all the time. Interestingly mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't see like Artemis actually hanging out with Aphrodite, and I guess it's Hestia, right? When they're um, like sitting watching. I think it's Hestia. There's also, I think, a bit of conflation. Like, I think Apollo gets conflated with Helios a little bit. It's I true. think they're yeah. doing a little yeah. bit the same. Yeah. yeah, and you see Artemis, Selene, yeah, 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 as yeah. the moon. And there's a, yeah, like the sun moon sort of conflation, which is not necessarily always the case. Right, but. right, right. But you know. Next next season, next I'm season. I'm hoping that women get a little bit more. We're just gonna let's just we can just use this. Be like we because we know for a fact that Charlie and Vlas are listening to us <laughs> as we mm, speak. Yes, <laughs> our good friends Charlie and Vlas. Hello, yeah, we're on, <laughs> welcome to the show. We're on first name bases. You're on. Um, you're on the right track, guys. You're you're doing great. There's some improvements. Please, please. But I was gonna say, but like Loki hit us up and also like get in touch with Zoe, Christy, and Eli, and uh, uh, I don't know, you know they're based in Austin. We're in Austin. It's true. That's true. It's true. Christy's not, but, but I'll zoom in. It's fine. That's the glory of the internet, right? Exactly. Yeah. I will say one last comment. Um, Seraphim is not much to look at, but I could listen to him talk all day long. I don't know how they did Seraphim's voice, but it is. I actually do. I do know this. <laughs> they were talking about so when they did the recording, what they did for the demons is they basically had the actor they spoke in like a they read the lines in like a normal voice, and then the, they read the lines in like a oh, no, no, I'm a demon voice like that, and then they doubled them <laughs> over each other. The oh idea God. being like Ugh. they're part human, part demon, so you hear both. So there's two voices basically, but then they they also specifically mentioned that that actor, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Elias, Tuf- uh, Tuf- uh, Tufexis. Yeah. yeah, Elias Tufexis. So that actor is actually able to do like some kind of double throat thing where he like lowers his voice and like and, like gets like that seraphim voice, which is like so basically what ha- the, I'm describing it wrong. That actor was able to just kind of do a voice like that, and then they decided for the rest of the demons to basically do that doubling thing, where they had like the regular human voice and then your low voice, and then they layered them over each other to give the demons that effect, and then. They did it again with Elias Tufexis. Um, so he, that's why he has that almost like double throat kind of thing I love going it. on. That's wild. <laughs> I've also, so he was, apparently was also the voice actor for Leonidas and Nicolaus in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, oh. As well as was from a couple previous um, Assassin's Creed games. Uh, Mr. Tufexis, wherever you are, you're doing great work. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> oh man. Okay, you guys, this was so much fun. Thank you. This is our by and up, far and above our longest episode. We had so many thoughts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two hours and ten minutes. Holy shit. <laughs> that Oof. is like almost an hour longer than like our longest one to my knowledge from editing this just like raw audio recording was our first part one, which was like just shy of an hour thirty. <laughs> <laughs> 
Most of them we usually tap out a little after an hour, like between an hour and an hour and ten. Mm-hmm. This one we went two hours and ten minutes. There's they gave us so much material. Like no, this is they great. really did. We need to have everyone back because you're great guests, and this has been good. Yes, please um, come back and talk to us. When it's yeah. just you and I, it's like not as interesting. I know we just stare at each other. <laughs> I like listening to you guys. Although I, I like that you have guests too. Like that's that's been fun. So it's a fun fun to be a part of that. It's fun to see who else you guys get. So uh, so yeah, thank you, Zoe. Thank you, Zoe. I can't. <laughs> Thank you, Zoe and Christy, so much uh, for helping us out. Uh, it was wonderful to have you. Colin's uh, about to cry over here. I'm breaking down hard. Um, this has been this is the longest recording session that that, that uh, and I'm crying for my future self, who's going to edit this sometime in the next <laughs> week. Uh, but uh, like I said, yeah, thank you so much. Um, we had you before, but uh, again, uh, is there anything you want to plug, or where can people find you on the internet? Um, hasn't changed from last time. I'm at CM Vogue for Twitter and then uh, Dr.C.Vogler for Instagram. And just to go off on women in mythology, there's a great book by Jess Zimmerman called Women and Other Monsters Building a New Mythology. Um, so if you kind of want a hot feminist take on Greek myth, that was a, a really fun book to read. So that's my plug for today. I am not currently available on social media, so you can't find me anywhere except in Austin, Texas, in my office. So sorry to all of you faraway listeners. In terms of other media to plug, I just watched Psycho last night for the first time, and uh, it's distinctly not a feminist (laughs) piece whatsoever, but it is very interesting, and I had never seen it before, and I highly recommend it if you have never seen Psycho or if you uh, haven't watched it in a while. It is very good. Very scary. I have never been so, so stressed in my entire life. <laughs> Thank you guys again. You have to come back. Yeah, no, yeah. We, we definitely need to have you. Um, we should consider extending permanent invites um, yeah. for just, just, <laughs> just make them elevate them from guest to host because this was fantastic. Yeah. Um, Zoe made a face. Um, I'm here for it <laughs> until school starts again. So let me know. You and me both. Yeah. Anytime. This was a pleasure. All right. Yay. Well, thank you. Thank you again. Uh, as usual, you can find us at moviesweedig.com. Follow us at, at Dig Movies on Twitter. L- listen, like, review, subscribe, all that stuff. It really helps us for trying to build our follower base. And until next time, um, just keep listening and, uh, We'll hear from you again. So, yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 You know who really needs the Medica attention is Heron after his face got stabbed into <laughs> oh. with Seraphim's talons. I oh, I, had, I wrote that down. But getting the fish hooked. I, like, said that out loud. I was like, how is his face not, like, off of his skull? Like, what? But, but also A plus pivot, Zoe. <laughs> Side note, that also kind of works with that. I don't know if you guys caught it, because I was really starting to pay attention to some of the other gods who like weren't, you know, didn't have a huge presence because I was looking for Dionysus. I am de- I'm slightly depressed in how he's depicted, but I saw him in the Gigantomachy part du, and the way he fights is he swallows a bunch of wine and spits in people's faces. And I like, saw that! Yes. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so I think it. It, it, like, like, does, it like melts them or something? I forget what happens. It just spit in his face. It did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
like all of this epic fighting going on all around him. And just, <laughs> Where's the thyrsus? Uh, Come on. <laughs> can you imagine him just like whipping people with like a little thyrsus? Like, <laughs> last, last thing, one of my, so assignment that I used to do at the University of Iowa, the final assignment was they had to rewrite uh, the Bacchae. And I had a student who mixed up the word thyrsus with phallus. And it was a female student who was very straight-laced and she's just commenting on how Dionysus and his cousin end up in a fight with their phalluses. I was just like, I don't think this word means what you think it means, but that was a beautiful I remember. image she, in my head. Oh my God, it's going really terribly wrong. <laughs> or did it go terribly right? Favorite remake ever. Like, yes, oh my God. that is how Dionysus, apparently the, the writer didn't get the note that he should not be spitting wine in people's faces. He should be whipping out his phallus and just going to town. So. <laughs> yep, yep. Just, have, like... just for that one shot, the show gets bumped to like an MC-17. <laughs> like, so I was looking, you know, because you know Netflix has the little like, oh, here's the ratings of this show. And it kept saying like, gore, mm -hmm. violence, nudity. And I was like, where is the nudity? nudity? There are no tits. There's only the giant, the one giant. Well, there are on the there's monsters. The one giant. Oh, there's, there's two. two. Which is the second one? So there's one that has like a row of tits, oh, like, like a, that the snake one. Goddess. Um, oh, right. yeah, 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 or or something. And it's like there's right. like five of them. Um, and then the other one so just has like Artemis normal of two. Ephesus one. <laughs> yes, With the, that's the what many, it was. The many, Artemis of Ephesus. Yes, many-breasted. Okay, sure, but like, okay, monster titties aside. Should we introduce the show? <laughs> oh God, yeah, we should introduce the show. <laughs> I'm sorry. Into it. <laughs> yeah, before we get too far into the weeds. Too far into the boobs, please. <laughs> yeah. Once we once we open that that box. Yeah, I feel like it's gonna be hard to to get the yeah. boobs back in the box. It's gonna be hard to get me out of the box. Sorry. <laughs>